Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Welcome to Equine Voices. My name is Ronnie and I am your host for today's interview. Justin Dunn from Justin Dunn Huthmanship will be joining me shortly. So I spoke to Justine, I think it was about two years ago. I had to look to see when we last did an interview. And I was convinced in my head that this was our third get-together, but I think it's our second. Um, Justine was one of the original people that I contacted when I first started my podcast. And I was aware of him through his YouTube channel and his horse, Cinnamon, which is an amazing horse, and Moonshine. He is no longer with us in body, but he is in spirit. Anyway, I'm going to bring Justin in and then he can introduce himself and say hi. Okay. Hi, Justin. <laughs> hey, Ronnie. How are you? I'm fine. I was having a bit of a panic. I was thinking, okay, <laughs> he's not here. Hello. <laughs> oh, apologize. I got a new computer and I forgot that I hadn't set Facebook on it. Don't worry about that. That's fine. Is this our second get together or is it our third? I don't know. I think second. I think it is second, isn't it? I think it's because we tried to get together at the beginning, but it took a little while for us to both sort of date out, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. So would you like to introduce yourself? Off you go, Justin. Okay. My name's Justin. I have a school in Aberdeen, North Carolina, and we teach horsemanship and health and wellness, mental health and wellness through horsemanship for our military and their families. And I moved from Colorado to here. We're having a blast doing that. I got to play with a new horse today. His name's Gus. And his owner wants him to kind of understand the basics or you have a good foundation of the human element. We get to play with him, help him understand that. And it runs along the lines of what I teach in our school to horses and people. And there's five levels. We start with level one and work through to level five. And the horses have a deeper understanding of what we expect of them. And then we get a deeper understanding of the horses as we do that. Thank you, Justin. Would you like to talk about the main horses in your life that you've had? So a little bit about cinnamon. And I knew I mentioned moonshine and you know have sunshine. Would you like to chat a little bit about those? Yeah. So cinnamon, you mentioned her. Yeah. She's a Mustang that we got, I believe it was in 2013, and she was caught out of Calico Mountains, Nevada, so she's a Nevada horse. <laughs> she came to us, I did a Mustang makeover with her in Fort Worth, and 25 days out of the wild, I shot that little video with my daughter, Emma. Emma was two at the time. And then I posted the video a year later, and it went viral. So Cinnamon's pretty famous, a lot more famous than I'll ever be, but that's okay. She she deserves it. And she's still here with us. She does a lot of our level five classes. She's a bridalist horse. People can ride her bridalist. She's very good at it. So it kind of showcases the intelligence of a Mustang. And it allows people that would never have access to a horse of that caliber access. Now, I didn't really want a mare mixed in with all my geldings, but she's kind of the mother hen of all my geldings. So she keeps everybody in order. 
And that really helps out a lot in the school. So uh, yeah, her coming to us has been very beneficial in our school. I mean, every horse that we have is beneficial in some regard because they all bring something different. Cinnamon's just a really affectionate type horse. And uh, she helps people that are apprehensive about horses calm down and really like that about her. So then what other horses did you want to know about, Ronnie? So you've got Sunshine and you had a beautiful horse, Moonshine, as well. Yeah, Moonshine. He's kind of here with us all the time because that horse was one of the defining, well, was a horse that really defined my horsemanship, I should say. And he was a horse that really read intent in people and he could really understand where they were coming from much quicker than they could understand at first. So Moonshine prepared me for bunch of horses that have come after that horse and then sunshine he's kind of the follow-up to to that as far as what moonshine started sunshine's still finishing i should say moonshine kind of prepared my mind sunshine he's kind of preparing my body the mind body connection really important one of the things we teach in horsemanship is the mind body connection Whatever a horse is doing, it's a reflection of what they're thinking. The same thing with a person. Whatever a person's doing, it's a reflection of what they're thinking. And horsemanship, horse-human relationship, allows those connections to become very strong and recognizable within each other. So a lot of people don't understand that they're doing things through action that stem from a thought, but they may not consciously be thinking that thought. Yeah, horses, they're real good at showcasing that to help us. So Moonshine, he helped me see the mind-body connection and how important it was to consciously be aware of what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what our attitude is, and then what our actions are. And at that point, prior to meeting Moonshine, I wasn't aware of that, the depths I am now, but based on that horse, Moonshine, he he defined it very clear for me. So whenever I teach today, it stems from a lot of the things I learned with Moonshine. So that's when I say he prepared me for today. That's what I mean. He helps me help other people understand four things within ourselves we can control. And that being thoughts, emotions, attitude, action. And in developing communication with Moonshine, I had to understand those two pathways of communication, which were the inner thought and emotion, and then the outer attitude, action. Consciously thought of all these things and tied them together, thinking in the combination of those things. I developed a really strong relationship with Moonshine. It will never be duplicated again with any other horse. But that's the cool thing about horses. They're all unique and different relationships in itself. So with Sunshine, it was understanding those four things, consciously paying attention to them and presenting the best version of myself to Sunshine to develop that relationship. So as someone told me one time, the moon prepares the mind. The sun prepares the body or something like that. 
it's pretty evident to me that those two individual horses have helped me pretty much write this book that I just wrote because in understanding what we can control and then take an initiative to do it, which is the four things within ourselves, thoughts, emotions, attitude, action, presenting that to the horse, whatever horse we're playing with, and then observe their feedback and be willing to make changes in one of those four things or all four things to present the best version, observe the feedback, make changes, do it again. We get into what I call a feedback loop. And having a feedback loop with each individual horse helps us refine those four things we can control, which are thoughts, emotions, attitude, action. And then each horse that I've played with ever since pretty much moonshine, I've kind of got a deeper understanding of each piece of those four things. So thoughts, you know, some horses, they know when you're engaged in the moment with them. And then when your mind drifts, they're very acutely aware of that. Or maybe an emotion changes and they're intently acute on that. They key in on an emotion that might come up based on a thought. And then always an attitude and action, because those are pretty outward things. You're going to give them a visual of whatever you're thinking and feeling. So your attitude and action are equally important as the the inner pathway, which is thoughts and emotion, as attitude and action. So they're all important, but each horse cues in on each different one and helps us get a better, you know, clarity through engagement. Otherwise, I don't know where you could learn how to control oneself through thought, emotion, attitude, action. We could present it to other people, but it could get tricky because there's a lot of barriers there that are not with horses. A lot of artificial barriers, I should say. But it's one of those things I've tried to sit in front of a mirror or even do something like this where I just look into a camera and talk and try to focus on you know, those four things, but it's not easy to do that. With horses, it's real easy to do that. So I didn't want to get too off track. Those are what those two horses that you mentioned kind of bring to to the table and bring to the school nowadays. Yeah, horses are very authentic. What you see, they present themselves with authenticity. So there's no hiding. They show you what's going on with yourself as well as, as with them but they definitely show you what's going on with yourself. And and like, yeah, and if you did that with people, apart from getting funny looks, if you practice in that, <laughs> it doesn't quite have the same effect. Now, I know you just mentioned about your book. Now, is this correct that you have a new book out and it's your first book? Is that right? Yeah, it's it's not out yet. The manuscript is done. It's turned in to the publisher. Pictures are being sent over to place in the book and it should be should be done within weeks from now so it's getting close are you allowed to mention a little bit about what it is or do you have to yeah. wait for that to come out no i don't have to wait i can do whatever i want you yeah. certainly can <laughs> yeah so it's a long book the editor that i enlisted to help me do this Help me shorten it, distill it down, so to speak, because it's 20 chapters, but it could have probably been 80 chapters. So we got to save some for another book, but it's 20 
I have the manuscript right here, actually. It's not too big. We won't read that today, then. <laughs> no, no. Story time. You ready, Ronnie? So what made you write a book and what was the inspiration that prompted you to start your book? Okay. Well, I've been given information over the years because I eagerly searched for this type of information. And I've got to share it with people, and I've got to witness what it does for them in transformation. So I thought, I better write this down in case I, you know, I have to leave Earth quicker than I want. I should write this down because, like anything, if we don't leave some sort of information for the next person, they just have to go through everything that I had to go through to figure it out, too. So why not give them a shortcut? So I wrote it down best I could, and I'm not a writer, so good luck on the reading. But I hired a professional to help me. He said I was a good writer. I never knew that. The words just came as I wrote, and some of it's from life experience. I think I reference back to when I was five years old, and first experiences with horses kind of set the tone or planted a seed, so to speak, for what's happening today. The other thing is I'd like to see the things that we do today be duplicated. So I kind of wrote a blueprint, kind of a roadmap maybe, or a manual to follow and at least springboard into you know, something even better. Now, I came up with this. I think if people could read it and use their own ingenuity and imagination, it's limitless on the things that it could provide for horses and humans. And that's why I wrote the book. That's a perfect answer. And why not? But you're not going anywhere, by the way. No, I don't plan to. <laughs> so I know a little bit about you. And I know that you moved from Colorado to where you are now in North Carolina. And you've spent a lot of time working with children and adults. But what is your place now? What is the kind of work that you are doing? Okay. Well, if you really kind of describe what we're doing, is it's research and development, proof of concept in how horses can heal humans. And I have a contract with the military, and I have to be careful what I say with that because the type of people that come out here really don't even exist. They're super elites and the special operating forces of the Army and Marine Corps. And it's one of those things that we get to present to them something that is probably not thought of as a healing modality, so to speak. I mean, there's no drugs involved. There is actually psychologists involved. However, the horse becomes center. And it's one of those deals where a person starts to really have to look within to find answers to whatever it is that they are going through. It's a tricky business, military. I was military, so I got a good understanding of what it's all about. Probably the biggest vice of conformity that a person could put themselves in. and. With our wild horses, 
being captured off the range and then brought into the human element, there is a way to do that to where it's very smooth transition. Our military members, you know, they're expected to do certain things that normal civilian people are not expected to do. And so they go out of human element in a lot of ways. And for an extended period of time, then they come back into the human element and they're expected to just transition smoothly. Well, the crossovers in a wild horse and our military member are so almost identical that what we do here at the school is ask the horses to help us help people help themselves. So, in other words, I'm just a facilitator. I have the horses. I have an understanding. I set the stage, but the person and the horse develop their own relationship unique to them. And it's not anything that I can create or destroy it's it's accessible by them doing what it is I show them to do. And that's what the book's about as well. You know, I show simple, I distilled it down so simple and basically five things to allow a person to develop a relationship with a horse. But as they do that, they find a deeper understanding of themselves and have the ability to control those four things we talked about earlier which are thoughts, emotions, attitude, and action. And when a person consciously observes themselves inward and outward and then gets a nanosecond feedback from the horse and then does it again, repeats it, we start to understand these laws of nature that exist. And most most people that come here, they don't even know what the laws are in order to obey them. They don't know what they are. So. Just something simple as law of cause and effect. Like you think a thought, and there's going to be be a cause and then the effect. Do an action as a cause, and the, the result of that action is an effect. So just understanding that one simple law. Horses abide in them every day and know them very well. Laws of compensation. You know, the the though I mentioned these in my book, these laws that horses abide in, they don't have the ability to drift out of those. They're pretty much adhered to them because the strongest law of nature is self-preservation. Especially a wild horse, they're not going to just, you know, cruise over to the bar and start drinking and smoking and doing things that could destroy themselves. But a human has the ability to do that. And whenever put that into context and start engaging in a conversation with horses, the brain and the body start to communicate correctly and harmoniously, which is agreement. So when the brain and the body of the human are disconnected in a way to where they're not harmonious, they're not in agreement, that's when you get problems. That's when mental health and physical health and all that break down. And yeah, you can deal with it in the beginning stages, but then you know it gets stronger and stronger, those disconnections. People don't like the way it feels, so they sometimes self-medicate alcohol, kind of cause a gap in those dominant thought patterns, the way they feel. Well, we all know what that leads to. So horses can cause that same gap in those dominant thought patterns and the way the body feels, you know, restrictions in the mind, tensions in the body. 
you know, a person can sustain that for a while, but then there starts to get dis-ease, not any specific disease, but dis-ease in the body, in the mind. And, and then that strong law of self-preservation starts to kick in and the person starts having some real issues. But horses can help balance all that back out. When we align with them and we start practicing being conscious of what we're thinking, feeling, or attitude and what we're doing, and then we gain control over that, some of those old thoughts, just they actually just go away. They, they're replaced with the thoughts you want, not the ones you don't want. So to answer your original question, what we do here at the school is we're providing a proof of concept that this actually works. It's in development that it actually worked. I get to witness military people, men and women, literally place their lives on the line and done things that are, you know, normal people don't ever get, you know, would ever do. And then they have to deal with it. And then, you know, 17 years in, they realize, wow, I'm in trouble. Where do I turn? So they start turning to all these other things that, you know, we have proofs don't work. So American Mustang School was brought here, 2019. And now it's an option. It's accessible. And, and more and more people are finding out about it. So they come out here and I get to witness exactly what I wrote in the book. I get to witness so that's why another reason why I wrote the book is because I get to see that this actually works, but I'm only accessible to so many people by just being in the spot. You know, the, the people that could come here, the volume of people, it's pretty small. So writing it down, have a leveraged impact for other people to, to read it and develop it wherever they are. I don't even care to own the name of the schools that pop up all over. I would rather them use their own imagination, but just follow the follow the criteria that I laid out and then enhance it, of course, but at least it's distilled down to where people can add to you know different things to it to to make it their own but i've I follow what I wrote in this book almost daily, and I get to witness what it does for people, what it's done for me. And then what it does for people, what it does for horses. So I hope that answers pretty good on why I wrote the book and what am I doing here at the school. It did. I was listening intensely and I know it's hard to explain sometimes, but you're very aware of your of your emotions and your energy. I know before we talked about how you was in the past and how horses have shown you a different way to be around yourself other humans and obviously the horses. So if people are looking for something that you're offering, how do they get in touch with you? Do they have to be referred or can they email you and ask to come and see you and the horses? Yeah, it's very open. So we have a closed contract with the military. So, you know, that's one piece. Public can literally call. In fact, I have a lot of people coming in that are civilian. I have a mother that brings two of her children and then a lot of retired veterans that are on active duty anymore. And then just basic individual, you know, I have a professor from a college close by. She just wants to have horse time. 
don't even have to be focused on mental health and wellness. Of course, it always benefits that. But I just had a lady ask yesterday if, if she could just take horsemanship classes, learn how to interact with a horse and ride. So cool thing about the way I set the school up is it's tailored to the individual's needs. So email, call, get in contact is fine. However, Facebook, it doesn't matter. The thing we do is we tailor it to the individual's needs. I also have a, a little Facebook group and there's hundreds of videos in there that'll give kind of a basis for, for what we teach at the school. I've kept out a lot of what we teach at the school just because of developing it, researching it, developing it. I want to make sure it works before I tell other people to do it. And then the other thing was I wanted to get it into this book, copyrighted and all that before I send it out in our online group. But as soon as that book hits the streets, we're going to really dive into the book and dissect it and, and get people a real good understanding. So my online group will still is here, will still be here. And that's another way to, to get involved or, you know, start gathering some information that'll help a person and their horse. Thank you, Justin. He's asked a question. So that's from Julie. Do you know that lady? Oh, yeah, I know Julie. She's yeah, so from Colorado. She's asking um, what the title, are you allowed to say? Yeah, I'll, I'll say the title because I, I had like four working titles and I kept just running back between what they would be. And the title that I think we've kind of narrowed it down is going to be A Horse to Guide Me. I think that's the title. That sounds lovely. <laughs> so Julie says hi. Hi, Julie. Well, Thank you for joining us. Or a horse that guides me, something to that nature. Are they the two main ones that you're going with? Yeah, I mean, the others probably aren't even worth mentioning because they're titles in the book now. So they're chapter titles. You know, when writing this book, like I said, I could have probably made it 80 chapters. I had to distill it down and try to capture the reader's attention long enough to get to the good stuff, in my opinion. You know, advanced intricacies of horsemanship. When I teach horsemanship, depending on the, the individual's level of understanding, you know, we have five levels that we teach. So level one, I could invest hours just teaching that. And that's just grooming for mindset. Understanding those laws of nature, understanding how we as people fit in nature. And then how we can control the four things within ourselves to coexist with all nature harmoniously. And our horses are the best teachers at that. So just level one, I could have wrote a book on level one, distilled level one down as much as possible. And then level two, we're going to establish communication with a horse. And each individual horse, I mean, it's infinite on what kind of things you would get revealed to you in interacting with individual horses. So in other words, I have nine horses here at the school, actually 10, I have 10 horses here at the school. Each one of those, when we engage in level two, is going to reveal to an individual certain things. And then each individual that comes here, that horse adapts to them and then I'll see, I'll see different things. So it's like, wow, this, this is 
the capillary actions of horsemanship, it's not just linear. It's, it's like tentacles in all different directions. And, and then as you explore each of those tentacles, it gets more and more beautiful and more and more blissful. And then your mind, I say your mind just gets, you know, ravished with all this energy that I don't know where else you could get it. Maybe a whale or a dolphin. I don't know. But whenever people come and play with horses, the, the things that horses bring that will reveal once we go into level two, it's phenomenal. It really is. And then we go into level three where we transfer from the ground to their back. I could write a book on it because now we're, they're in a sustained feedback loop, moving in unity together through nature. Well, you know, headed that way. Level four, we get more toward that. And level five, you're definitely in nature. So those, those five levels I had in the book, but could write a lot more information on each one than I, than I did. So, yeah, looking forward to getting feedback from people as this book gets out there. When is the book due to be released? Well, I talked with the publisher today and there's no hard deadline yet because I, I've sent in everything except 25 pictures. I got to send in 25 more pictures and I am computer savvy. So, you know, I called them today and like, hey, I sent you five. It'll work. I haven't got any feedback. So I'll probably know tomorrow on those five pictures. But I was real picky on the pictures. I've kind of been the one delaying it. To answer your question, it's probably in the next few weeks, two, three, maybe maybe a month at the most. Oh, good. So before the end of the year. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I started writing it last May. Okay. May 10th, I started writing it. And I just told myself, I want to take one solid year to make sure this gets written out and gets published. So we'll, we'll beat the deadline. I've never written a book, but I'm guessing that when you start to write, especially when it flows, because that's your essence flowing through. If you put pen down, you start writing and it's just flowing. That's because it's meant to be that way. But I suppose you can get sidetracked. And as you're describing one thing, you have to go into something else and something else. A bit like a conversation sometimes. You can have a conversation with somebody and you get sidetracked. So I suppose being focused is the main part of when you're starting to do a book. It's one of those things, I, I even explain this in the book, I've, I've built three homes, three houses, and I used to have to train myself to go and do it. Not necessarily the actual physical act of doing it, but find the energy to go do it. So I would say, to myself, I'd say, self, we're just going to go cut one board. So whatever you think, I'm going to cut one board, then back that thought with the emotion, like some enthusiasm, like, yeah, just one board. And then we did something. And then your attitude lifts up a little bit. And then you're like, okay, and now I feel some motivation coming in. And then the action, you're like, your legs start carrying you over to do it. And then you cut one board and it leads to two and two lead to three and three lead to four and three. You no, know, you've been there eight hours and you got a lot done. Well, same thing with training horses. You know, I'll just say, well, we're just going to go do one series of questions. We've led to two to three and then you had a good two hour session and you got a lot done. So when writing a book, it was like, well, I'm just going to write one sentence today, just one. Well, 
that one turned into two, three, four paragraphs. And then before you know it, you did four or five pages. And then it's like, wow, I did five pages today. So it's just a matter of getting the thought. I'm just going to do one, break it down into tiny pieces. You know, obviously I didn't say, I'm going to write a whole book. So I want to write a sentence. Heck, sometimes I just write a word and I just look at that word and then it would just explode with all these other words. And I just start writing words, words, a whole, filled a whole paper with words one day. And I was like, wow, where'd all these words come from? What do they mean? So then I started writing what they meant. And then I was like, well, I need to put this into some kind of context. I'm not a writer. I just figured out how to do it myself. And then I took this little phone here. And it has a thing where I could speak into the notes. So a lot of times I'd be on the back of a horse and I'd get an idea. And, oh, I need to say this. So I would just say it into my phone. And then I would just ride along, talk along, and kind of like horse know what I was doing. So that kind of like remind me, hey, don't forget to say that. Oh, yeah. And then I would just talk and talk and ride along. And then before I knew it, I had like notes all in my phone. So I would email those notes to myself. And then I would see it on this computer looking at it. And I would edit it because the phone doesn't always transcribe it correctly. And sometimes it's pretty funny at what it does transcribe. So I would have to correct all that. And then I would just kind of organize it. And then whenever I wrote my manuscript, it was a lot of copy and paste and put it into the manuscript. And then when I sent it to the editor, he organized it even better. His response was, man, you're a really good writer. And I was like, I never wrote anything in my life. This was the first time. So thank goodness that it kind of came out legible that you know, anybody could understand. But it was fun. I kid you not. Writing this book was fun. And as you write a book, it actually kind of takes its own little life form. And then you want to nurture it and help it grow. So then it brings in a lot more clarity and perspective. So when I would go out with the horses and the people, I would really pay attention a lot more so I could gather information to put in the book. So then when I put it in the book, I want to run back out and grab more information and then put it in the book. So it just like went hand in hand, kind of complemented, you know, doing and writing. So it actually was really easy and fun. I think generally most things are if you've got an enthusiastic energy about it and a feel about it. And that was funny when you was talking earlier about saying when you was building your house that you do one plank first, that's all you'd be thinking about. I can't remember where I heard it, but it's something to do with the mind, the brain, that if you try and think of a big chunk, it sort of shuts off. It starts to shut off. Whereas if you say, we're just going to do a little bit, then it's okay, I'll let you do that. That's not quite right, really, but do you know what I mean? And then, like you said, you get enthusiastic and then that gives you the impulse to do the next bit and then the next bit. But I was also laughing when you said about your phone and you talk into your phone. I do that quite a lot because when I'm driving, I get inspiration. I get thoughts and messages to pass on to people. And that's the first thing because it's easy just to put it into the recorder on my phone and then I can just pass them on. It's a lot easier and you get really excited. And sometimes if you think of an idea, you, you haven't got a pen and paper. It's easier just to pop it into the phone so that you don't forget, like you said. <laughs> and now I do it. I do it all the time. 
you know, you kind of create a habit, I guess. And I was trying to think of what the last thing I put in here. I put some highlights for the book. That was like the last thing that I did. Like, oh, I need to highlight some things. And yeah, that that's the way to do it. You get an idea. They say it doesn't really become real until it is written down. And I can remember in business, my dad would tell me, you got to document it or it didn't happen. And when you write an invoice for a job that we did, so if it's documented, it didn't happen. As far as, you know, I'm going to send you a bill, Ronnie, for doing a job, but you weren't there to see me do it. I have to write down what I did to send you the bill so you can read what I did. You know, then it became real. So it's kind of interesting whenever you, you think of it in that term, real, but write it down. And it was a thought. Whenever you write it down, it became real. You can actually touch it. You know, it's real. I think it magnifies it too. So a thought is a thought and sometimes it can sort of not land it or it's just floating around. Quite often I'll put, I know there's something coming and I'll either record one word. A word comes and I record the word and then the rest of the conversation comes or I'll write it. But normally for me it's recording because I'm, I'm normally driving when that happens or doing something. So I think it's like it's landing. And then the rest of it can come through. It's a little bit like turning a tap on a faucet. You turn it on and then the rest comes flushing through. And that's the same with energy, with, with your thoughts. Yeah. That's, that's my explanation. <laughs> I hear, you know, energy is information. So information is wanting to get out because it's an energy. So whenever you have a thought, you know, thoughts come and go. But if you can direct that thought with, with energy, information, whether it be an action to a horse or a pencil to a paper, the action, following those thoughts, emotion, attitude, action, that energy or information transfers to the paper, transfers to the horse, gets fed back to the person both ways. And it's, it's, it starts with a thought. And a lot of times people have great thoughts, but they never, manifested it to become a reality. Whenever I look at vacant land on those homes that I built, I had the thought, there's no house going to be here. Well, if you channel that thought into digging the first piece of excavation to pour the concrete, to build the foundation, to, to create the house, you know, they started with a thought manifested by thinking that thought over and over. And then allowing that energy or information to transfer into the reality of the house. The same thing with a horse, you know, I think that's why I've been so blessed to be a good horseman is I, I get to see the horse and I get to present to them some energy or information and then manifest it to become a reality. That's the simplest way I could explain it. I think for this horse that I want them to be calm, quiet, thinking horse. I want them to be comfortable in the human element. I envision that way down the road, but I got to break it down to do a tiny piece and just ask them one simple question of, will you back up one hook and then relax? And then we apply another question, back up another hook and then relax. I mean, that's something very simple, but it's, it's building blocks to get to uh, down the road where horses are totally comfortable in any and all situations 
I can ask them to get in my trailer. We can go anywhere we want to go and do anything we want to do. Ask them to get back into the trailer and come back home. And nothing ever changed in their thoughts and their emotions, their attitude and their action as if I put a halter on them or as if I asked them to get in the trailer. The harmony and balance within their mind and body stayed the same. It's, it's connectivity. It's agreement. So that's what I envision every time I get with a horse and think those thoughts, present those actions, manifest it enough to where it becomes a reality. And it's just that simple, but it can be complicated if a person doesn't have control of themselves in order to implement those, you know, channel that energy or information toward what they want, truly want. Some people say they want something, but then their thought went away and they didn't really want it. Hmm. You don't mind talking or admitting that you didn't always used to think this way a while ago. And I know we've talked about this before. So you've come from a place of a slightly different Justin Dunn to where you are today. And this is through your own self-development with yourself and and your horses, which I know your horses are at the forefront. So because sometimes there's a little concern when people do therapy with horses that it's all about the human element and the horse is there to do a job to help the human. Where I know yours is nothing like that. You're very much working with both parties and you've always got an eye on both horse and human. Because if you don't, you get horses that burn out. So I understand that. And you've got such a good heart, Justin, that that's not, that's not you anyway. No, horses first. So we follow rules, beliefs, philosophies. And the belief is the horses first. If we're not presenting what we expect from the horse, the horse never lies. So they'll give feedback. If it's something undesirable, we can never blame the horse. We have to look here. We have to make changes and then present accordingly to create desirable results or responses in the horse. So the horse is first. The only way the horse is going to aid us or help us do whatever it is we're trying to do, it has to be a benefit to the horse. They won't follow. They won't, they won't do it unless there's a benefit. So in order to get a horse to care enough to to reveal the things that we're wanting to do we have to care about ourselves and then prove to them we care about ourselves present to them and then that is an attraction when the horse sees what you're trying to become or starting to become they want to help they're like oh you're actually trying to be a good person i can help you with that i wasn't that way long ago. I didn't look at it that way. I thought a little bit different. And I'm going to get you to do this horse because it's going to be your benefit. And and this is just going to be good for you and you'll know it. But that's not the way it works. That was more force compliance way of trying to do things. An attraction without promotion is what I really try to do now. It's something I want to create as a curiosity in the horse to want to be involved because they see what we're trying to do for ourselves. We're literally doing our own push-ups and trying to become better people, upgrade ourselves. And then the horses step up and are ready, willing, and available to do that. 
So that's the difference from what I used to do, you know, in, in prior to moonshine to today. I want to present something to the horse that is worthy of them wanting to or be willing to be a part of. And whenever we go into it, you know, level one, grooming for mindset, it's not grooming the horse for mindset. It's us. We groom ourselves. We literally are checking in with ourselves and asking ourselves, consciously saying, what have I been thinking? What have I been feeling? What is my attitude? And what are my actions? I'll do things where, back up a little bit. In Colorado, I was building a house for instance, and I'd have to build the house a certain part of the day, and then I'd have to train horses for an income another part of the day. So I'm in the mindset of building a house, trying to hurry, get it done. It's something that doesn't feel pain. So I could cut a board with a saw, and that's going to hurt the board. I can throw boards. I can bang on them with hammers. I can treat that house, you know, rough in a hurry and and get things done and make noise and all that. Well, I would be in that mindset and I'd go down to to train horses. And then the feedback from the horse is not desirable. So then I'd be willing to change, but it was generally to go faster and harder and heavier. Well, then it was even more undesirable. So I learned very quickly, like, okay, I've got to check in with myself. And figure out, what have I been thinking? Well, I've been thinking in a hurry. What was my emotion? Well, it was frustrating. It's kind of frustrating to be in a hurry all day trying to get something done. And then if it doesn't get done, then you're even more frustrated. So, And then your attitude, I would check in. Attitude's not real good because I'm frustrated. Actions, well, they're jerky and they're fast and they're, they're heavy. So I had to groom myself prior to even going to get involved with the horse. And now it's check in. Like, what have I been thinking for the last 12 hours? Or what was I thinking yesterday? What am I thinking now? What do I want to be thinking when I'm with the horse in the future? So what I would do is groom for mindset before I ever got to the horse. And I would check in with my four things, my thoughts, my emotions, my attitude, my action. And then I would start changing those. Whatever one needed the most change, I would change it. I would consciously think it, manifest it, then it'd be in a reality. I would walk different when I go to the horses. Sunshine taught me this. When I talk about mind and body, moonshine was more on the mind, sunshine's more on the body. Sunshine brought into perspective what my body actions were doing before I was even conscious of them. So I would, I would walk to his pen in our early days of training, and he, he would run away and, and run away from me. And then it would stop me in my tracks and I would think, why is he doing this? I got to change something today that I did yesterday. So what is it? Well, I had whatever it was on my mind dominating my thoughts, causing a little frustration in the emotion. My attitude wouldn't be good. In my actions, my heels would hit the ground real hard. My shoulders would be tense. My eyes would be looking down on the ground and I'd be kind of deep in thought on not this moment, something else. So Sunshine would pick up on that, and he'd run away. I would literally just stop in my tracks, turn, walk back, sometimes get in my truck if I had driven there, or just walk over to a tree and just kind of think about these four things. Like, what are my thoughts? 
wow, I've been thinking very stressed out on building this house. Well, my emotion has been kind of you know, frustrated. My attitude is not enthusiastic at all. My actions are rigid and bracy and not free and flowing. So I would literally change those four things. I'd walk back towards sunshine and he'd meet me at the gate. The very first time I argued with myself, you know, I was like, oh, it's just a coincidence. Well, about the 18th time I got it. I was like, okay, that's what I got to do. I got to groom myself before I present myself to this particular horse. Sunshine is, he reads intent. He's very empathetic. He, He understands things on a deeper level. And I get that. So, you know, as we interact with individual horses over time, And we're consciously looking at ourselves as we present ourselves to that individual. That's what creates that willingness in them to like, aha, I'll help you. I know what you need. Um, Oh man, this is fun. I can do this. And then they see you growing and developing, which helps them grow and develop. And then you get this relationship that's so unique and so strong that outside influences have little to no effect on either one of these four things. And that's what I try to explain in the book. That's why I can get on the back of a horse and I can ride anywhere in the world that I want to go. It does not matter. I can present to my horse, observe their feedback, make changes, get into such a strong circular feedback loop, non-intermittent or distorted. It's free-flowing and circular. Outside influences have little to no effect on my thoughts, my emotions, my attitude, or my action. The beautiful thing about that Because I have the ability now to do it away from horses. So going into the human element for real, you know, I have a lot more control and power to to sustain harmonious and balanced relationship between my mind and body and then outside of that. You know, standing in lines, I was giving this example the other day. I do not like standing in lines. Actually, today I don't really care because I I know what to do. But before, I I just could not stand in line. It would really get me anxious. I really didn't understand why people do it. I mean, nothing made sense about standing in a line for me. But nowadays I can go, well, I just observe that thought, kind of giggle, and then my emotion gets kind of happy, and then my attitude perks up, and then my action is just chill out, relax. It's just a line. It's not that big a deal. But I would not have developed those skills of, with the wild horses and understanding that we can control these four things. They're given to us to control. They're within us. I can't control someone else's, but I can present to them the best version of myself to create a curiosity to want to join what I'm doing. So I try to explain that in the book too. And I use my wife as examples in that. That's a whole nother podcast. Exactly. I love the way you broke that down and I'd forgotten because I used to be in your group. So I remember you used to do little live videos and chat and then you show videos with the horses. And I remember the breakdown, how you described it. Because if you think about it, if you're tense or you're angry or you're frustrated and your head's racing, so horses see that as sparks, 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 sparks. It's like boom, 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 boom. Your body is tense and you might be overbent slightly, which means your breathing is not as comfortable, but you don't think about it. You don't think, oh, my breathing's a bit shallow. Perhaps I want to change that. It's only when you start to think about what's going on. How am I today? 
which, as you said, horses are brilliant at that, that you start to look at yourself and it's quite funny because you can laugh at yourself sometimes, especially if you have a real blowout and then you walk off and you're huffing and puffing and then you think, oh, for God's sake, get a grip, girl. But it's funny because you can see the other side of it and then your whole body, your demeanor changes. I found a good thing to do, and this was a while ago, but I haven't done it so much now, but it's sort of coming back in. I would smile for no reason. And I think I heard it on a podcast somewhere. I can't remember who it was. And he said, the best thing to tell your brain that you're feeling okay today is smiling, even if you don't feel like smiling. And I thought, oh, I'll try this. So every morning in the car, a slight muscle memory, I'd sit in the car and I'd put this smile on. And I think it was about a week later, I would see myself smiling. I was thinking, I'm smiling. What have I got to smile about? But my muscle memory remembered it and it remembered it, sit in the seat, turn the ignition on, smile. And then that went throughout the day. But I found that that little exercise really helped with my mindset because it was like they were having a conversation and it's almost like my mind was saying, well, why are you smiling? And it's like, because I want to smile. And I know that's not how it works, but that's how it felt. And it did, it really made a big improvement to how I felt in that day. It helped lift my spirits. And then I found because I was lifted, other things would come in, a nicer energy would flow in, which would bring benefits for that too. When you was talking about horses reflect and their such a big influence with most people. I think it's because they're quite accessible. Even if you don't have a horse, you can see them. You can maybe pass a field and there's a horse in a field and you get something from that as well. If it's a nice day and you go for a walk, most animals can give you a similar experience, but we don't always look at them in the same way. I know whales and dolphins and sea animals, but again, if you're not near the sea, that's not something you're going to interact with. But horses are probably the nearest thing, genuine thing that we can interact with, even from a distance, that we can get a feel back. And of course, they've got the most amazing big hearts. So their energy resonates far further than we realize at times. And that has has a, a definite effect. Oh, yeah. So you're talking about smiling intentionally. That's a form of self-suggestion. So whenever we teach horsemanship, a person will start to think thoughts that, what if this horse does this or does that? Usually it's something negative. If a person will self-suggest to themselves, be brave. Just say that, be brave. Because the horse is already just sitting there. He's already brave. The person generally is what gets thought going and then the energy transfers and then the horse starts to get concerned. Like, wait, should I be doing here? Should I be concerned? So that self-suggestion is what we refer to is when your mind starts going in a direction you don't want it to, thoughts start coming in that you don't want, do something to change the thought which is either say something or do something. And that's kind of thinking in association. So when you see a horse, people think in the association of a horse, they feel good, they smile, they, they're, they're happy. I mean, horses are so impressive beings. Just looking at them brings 
brings joy to people. So thinking in association of things, we utilize that a lot with horses. So like my bitless bridle, every horse that I have, when I show them that bitless bridle, they do nothing different if I showed them a halter. I have clients that have come and we show their horse a bridle with a bit and the horse does not want it. Thinking in association of those things, horses that are, you know, you go ahead and put a bit in the horse's mouth that doesn't want it. His thoughts are already going toward that object and thinking in association of that, the emotion can follow, the attitude can follow, and then ultimately actions can follow. Whether they're desirable or undesirable, it depends on how that bridle is used in order to cause the horse to think in association, whether it's a negative or a positive. So in understanding those laws of nature and presenting to the horse and observing feedback, making changes, do it again to get the most desirable results, whatever we're doing for ourselves or for horses thinking in association of those things will create those four things to follow. Thoughts, emotion, attitude, action. So anything that we do, we try to create thought in association of whatever it is we're doing, thought that we want. So if we're, let me give you another example. If we got a horse that does not enjoy to trot in circles, well, we're probably not going to take them into the round pen and trot them in circles because every time you go to the round pen, they're like, I don't want to do this because they've already thought in association of that round pen and what gets done to them in there. So we'll take them into the round pen and we'll ground tie and grow. And then we change that thought by doing that. And that's just one example. There's so many more. You, you, were, you brought up a couple of things, making yourself smile. Now I can take that same concept and I can trigger body responses of relaxation within myself or my horse or vice versa. So, for example, we transfer up in level three onto a horse's back and we do some exercises and then we do a one rein stop and we trigger that horse to relax by we take a deep breath, we drop our shoulders, relax our hips, relax our legs, take a deep breath. Pause for a few seconds to allow all the processes we just did to catch up. And then we do what's law of repetition. We do that over and over and over. The second we pick up a rein to ask for a one ring stop and the horse stops his feet, his body automatically does it, relaxes. That trigger is there by thinking in association of the one ring stop, the person relaxing, sending information or energy of relaxation triggering the body response to relax. Then the restrictions in the mind free up. Then that connection gets stronger. And then collectively over time, anytime my horses start to disconnect in mind and body, I can reconnect it. It's that fast. It's like plugging in an extension cord. You know, oh, their, their brain and their body are starting to disconnect. Put it in and then I can tape it. I can get duct tape on it so it doesn't come apart. It's one of those things. Whenever we sit down and start analyzing ourselves, in thought, emotion, attitude, action. Understand there are two pathways of communication. Breathing, heart rate. Horse can hear our heart rate from three to four feet away. So when I'm on his back, he can hear that. My heart starts beating faster and I feel that. I will change a thought 
present to my horse to help my heart rate come down, help my body relax, sends information to the horse so he can do the same thing. And then vice versa. You know, I'll get horses that are new. I got one in two days ago and his heart rate came up. His body got tense. His breathing got erratic. And then I just present to him. And then he started getting it. He's like, oh, so thinking an association of whatever it is can trigger a, we could call it negative or positive, but it can trigger a response, desirable or undesirable. So that smiling, I'm glad you brought that up because I teach that in, in class. Some people get real serious, especially these military folks. They get real serious at trying to learn how to do their hands, how to do their legs. And then I'll say, one rain stop, trigger response relaxation. They'll do all that. And then they'll look at me and I'll tell them, just smile. And then they will. And they're like, yeah, I'm having fun. I don't know why I'm so serious. But it's just, sometimes there's a little restriction there or there's, there's a little barrier. And then consciously doing something to trigger what you really want to happen, to follow. And that's thinking in association of those things. So you smile. Your body's recognizing, your subconscious is recognizing it. So then all we got to do is consciously do it enough to where it just becomes natural. I'm glad you brought that up. That's good. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. My other thing I used to do with my first horse, she was called Ferry and she was owned by, I don't know whether you'll know these people, but Jerry and the Pacemakers. Have you heard of them? No. Now they're an English group from way back and they bought a racehorse. And she was a yearling. So they called her Ferry Across the Mersey. That was the famous song of theirs. So her name was Ferry. And she was a racehorse. So she went from stop to gallop. There was no in-between bits when I first got her. And I'm a novice. So we used to just walk out. We used to walk and do trots, walk and trot. That's all we used to do. We used to go out hacking. And I remember the first time that I canted on her. And I totally trusted her because I knew her and she knew me. And it was the most magical experience. We went in an open field. There was a hedge at the end. And I was thinking, well, if she doesn't stop, she'll jump it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was hoping that she'd stop or slow down. And we cantered. And it was just, oh, God, it was amazing. But she didn't make the cut as a racehorse because she would catch up to the horse so she would be at the back and she would go really fast. But as soon as she caught up to the first horse that she come into contact with, she would pace at that level. She wouldn't go past that horse. So for me, that was perfect because really? <laughs> I knew she wasn't going to just try and, and take off. But what we used to do is if I could feel myself getting nervous because there was somewhere different or I could, I could just feel some tension within myself, I used to sing. No, I can't sing. <laughs> but I, mean, I used to sing, Fairy, cross the Mersey. <laughs> and her little ears would be going, tweet, 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 tweet. And I'm sure she was saying by the 20th time, oh, not that song again. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I do too. In the thinking and association of things, whenever we sing, generally because of joy, I don't know of anybody that sings, no, it's for joy. And and I would get into a position with my horse as a kid, and I wouldn't know what to do. So I'd do that. I'd just start singing to him. And it was very powerful because he would relax. But it was me. I relaxed and presented that to him. 
And then he observed that and then he took in that information or energy. And it was very calming. And I can't sing either. So, But it, you can't hold your breath when you're singing. I mean, you can feel yourself tensing up and you're shallow breathing. And sometimes you are holding your breath because you're listening for something or expecting something to happen. And if you start singing, however bad that may be, you can't hold your breath. So you, you breathe a little bit and they have a sigh of relief because there's not a solid bottom on their back. <laughs> there's a bit yeah. more movement. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've been going for an hour. Is there anything else that you'd like to chat about? What have you got? Oh, actually, before then, sorry, I'm interrupting you now. Three times this has come into my awareness and I've no idea why I want to say this to you, but there's a real buzz of excitement and it's with your horses around what's going on. But there's a buzz of excitement and three times it's come in and you was talking, so I didn't want to interrupt you. Is there something that you're planning or is there something at your facility? But there is a buzz of excitement about something that's coming forward. Well, the, the book, I've been pretty excited and focused on getting the book out. So I'm hopeful, and that's probably not the best word, but I, I can see that there's something big coming in the benefit of horsemanship, humanity, because the things I get to do, and I didn't even mention a lot of the things, they're in the book, and I want to keep that. Find out. But I, I tell some stories in there, transformation for people. They were in a very dark place, and then they, they found light through horses in a very short amount of time. You know, 15 to 17 hours, I get to see some of the most beautiful transformation. And that's just two hours a week. So not very, not very much time in, in the sense of time. But the thing that's probably big is that hopefully this book will get into the right hands and some things that really need to shift will we'll shift the way people think of horses and look at horses i think this will be an eye-opening book because horses were a lot of utilitarian type you know treated as equipment a lot of ways today i don't think that's needed i mean i know it's not needed but it's one of those things there's only 2.5 million horse owners in the united states so we have 330 million people. There's only 9 million horses in the United States. So accessibility, you mentioned accessibility. It is easier, but it's not on those type numbers. You know, I can count at least five people that have come through my gate in the last two years that have never pet a horse and never would have ever considered horse therapy or horsemanship, horse communication, nothing, nothing like that. You know, these are 15, 17 year army active duty personnel and just never had accessibility to horses. The book gets out. I'm hoping that this will go to every horse rescue in America. I hope it'll go to every private school. I hope it'll go to every public school to teach in a horsemanship class because they can pick any level. We could stay at level one. doesn't matter. They go all the way up to level five. But it's, it's a door that's there that's got to be open. And enough people walk through it, they can realize, oh, wow, there is a whole 
other side to horsemanship and horses that we don't know about. Because a lot of the things they see are on TV, you know, rodeo, barrel racing, horse racing, whatever. My book, I may not ever see the fruits of the labor of this book in my lifetime, which is fine. But a hundred years from now, I kind of envision that this long-term sustainability of horses will be what's in this book, not what people are seeing, you know, on TV. The humanity, in my opinion, these are all my opinion, okay? Statistics are 150 million people or 160 million people live paycheck to paycheck. They're at a time in their life where they're very frustrated. Where are they going to turn that type thing? And it compounds in all other realms, religion, spiritualism, whatever. There's a lot of people that are not diagnosed with mental illness, but there's 54 million Americans diagnosed with mental illness, some form. So like horse racing is not going to fix somebody's mental illness. I mean, it's just not. And what I wrote in the book will, it will. And I do it for myself. So I know it works. Every individual, every one of them, hundred percent success rate that's come in here and implements this has turned their life around. They come out of a dark place into a light and they have a new perspective on life, real life. Not what we see on the news, not what the guy's doing out there next to you. No, real life. When you're in the quiet space of your own self, the reality is is what they learn in horsemanship. Because horses bring you back into nature, bring you back into what's real. And it's so true and honest. The body recognizes it very quick. The mind has a little trouble, but it comes along. But it's one of those things where if you're feeling that type of energy, my horses have been a part of it. Each and every one of them, they've been a contributor to development of this book, this school, and transforming those lives that those individuals that came here. So they're buzzing, man. They're like, we were the guys, we're the team. If you were the team, y'all did it. You're the ones. So that may be what you're picking up on. Do you know what? Because I- they're excited as I am. Yeah, I think it is. And horses talk in a collective manner as well. They don't just converse independently. And that's the benefit of all. That's the benefit of all horses and humans alike. And anything that can help, even if it's just one person, but I know it's going to reach a lot of people. But if you can change one person to let them see that they're special and they can change their life, but they have to just look within themselves and start to acknowledge what's there and to adjust what they need to adjust so that they can present a different aspect of who they are. We're all very good at hiding behind masks and what we think we should be, what we think people want to see. And nine out of 10 times, that other person probably doesn't even want to see that, but we perceive that to be the way. Anything that can start that process of opening somebody up to themselves and to make a change to make even a little change is worth its weight in gold so I think your passion comes through in this and your horses and you've got such a big heart as I've said before and 
I'm smiling because I've forgotten. I remember doing ground tie with toots and she's, she's 21 now. When I first was introduced to you and she still remembers that, I can drop the rope. I might not do a lot of else with her, just in what I can drop the rope and she remembers that. And I think I used to do the one rain stop, which I actually used and that was a long time ago and it worked. It worked. We did a smaller circle. Instead of the horse falling over, she knew to bend. She didn't brace against it. So I was smiling when you mentioned that because I thought, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a benefit to the horse, to the human. It's life enrichment for both. That's the whole purpose of horsemanship in the first place is life enrichment upgrade. And these things that we get to, that I get to witness the horses do for people, I can't do it for the people. Neither can the horses, really. The person has to do it themselves. They have to do their own push-ups, I, I tell these guys, because they understand that. You know, so I can't do their push-ups for them. You know, the, the thing about what I see horses teach people is helps them find three things that they have to know in life in order to live a successful life, a fulfilled life. And the three things that I see horses help people understand is that they do have a purpose. And then that there's a systematic way to follow a flexible plan. And then the only thing they have to do is take action and be willing to be perfect. You know, a lot of our military personnel I hear, they, they think they got to be perfect. I mean, the, the jobs that they do require a lot of them and have kind of brainwashed them into, you do this perfect, 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 perfect. Well, when I teach horsemanship, it's like, there's no such thing as perfect. There's no such thing as perfection. It's progression, progress, progression. We just want to progress. Every living organism on earth wants to advance and progress. So horses understand when a person has got a plan and they're taking action to fulfill a certain purpose, they step up and aid them in, in doing that. And then they develop an understanding of how it works. So they'll have a minor purpose. And it could be something simple as taking the horse from cone A to cone B and then have, have, have that thought, have the purpose, implement it with, through a plan and to, by taking action. And then once they accomplish point A to B, then do the next one and then compound it. And then they start to create a habit and it gets solid to where their subconscious picks up on that and they go, oh, so when we identify the purpose we can create a plan and keep it flexible i always stress flexibility in a plan and then take action that's how you train a horse that's how you build a relationship that's how you write a book that's how you build a house that's how you do whatever it is we are called to do on this planet just do those three things and it's not hard we will complicate it oh man we can do that but breaking it down into tiny little pieces with horsemanship. When I refer to, I'll ask a horse to back up one hoof at a time. That's kind of breaking it down into tiny pieces. I could ask the horse to back up. That's no problem. But break it down into tiny pieces. I've got to think it. So I got to see it. And then I got to do it. So the horse does the same thing. Once we interact in that manner, those Things that we didn't know before, the horse is filling in the uncertainties, the information that we didn't have, and helping us think and do 
those three things each and every time we're together, whether it be first interaction, grooming for mindset level one, or a level five rider that's got 60 hours with this horse and they're out riding in nature in an extended feedback loop. There's a purpose, there's a plan, they're taking action. And it's broken down into tinier pieces to accomplish minor purposes. And then it's thinking in the combination of things to accomplish a bigger purpose. And then once a person gets clarity on that, they can fix anything within them and around them. They realize what they can control and what they can't control, and they're fine with both. That's the clarity horsemanship brings to the human, especially when they're in an erratic, chaotic state, disconnected from mind and body, not aware of what their actions are presenting to the rest of the world, and feeling attacked whenever it's called upon, called to their attention. When a person can go and interact with a horse and then slowly get evidence of what they need to know to make changes, then when a person does say, hey, you're doing this, you're doing X, they can compensate and maybe have new coping mechanisms to address it than they had before. Rather than coming off top rung at somebody, they know how to scale it from one to 10 while I'll respond at a two rather than an eight. Because the same thing with a horse, you've got to feel that horse, that individual provide proper pressure, proper time, proper response, meaning ask the proper question at the proper time to get the desirable response. Same thing. So how do we do that? Well, we have to check in here, present it, observe, make changes, do it again. Once collectively over time that's developed, you have that ability and skill to do it anywhere you go with anybody you meet. Perfect. Perfect explanation. Your Facebook group that still goes, you said that earlier. Yeah, yeah. So what I'll do is post links so people can have a look at that and also your website. So if they want to contact you, which is the best place? The best place is probably email or go to my website because then they can play around on the website and they can actually join my Facebook group through my website, actually pay through there and then ask to join in Facebook and then I add them in. I've taken a small break from posting a lot of things in there because there are so many videos in there now, but we're scheduled to start doing more videos in the future. Kind of waiting on the book to come out and then that's just going to be the topic. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting times and your horses are definitely excited. Yeah, I think that's what it is. The buzz of what's going to come from that because... Horses don't have time frames like we do. No. Yeah, so they're probably aware of what's coming in certain areas more than we are. It's been fascinating chatting with you, Justin, and it's so lovely to catch up with you again. And I can't wait for your book to come out so I can have a read of it. As soon as it does, if you send me a link and then I'll put that on my page and then people c can get to it from there as well. Is there anything that you'd like to say, any piece of information that you think would help anybody? whether they've got horses or not, before you go. Yeah, what I'm about to say is the probably most wisdom-based comment I've ever said in my life. Are you ready? <laughs> God, yeah, go on. <laughs> okay, here he comes. Horses don't wear a watch, so they always have time. You don't say. That's where I've been going wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Do you know what? I haven't worn a watch for years. I haven't. It's been lovely, Justice. If you'd like to say goodbye, and then I'll pop you out, and then I'll just have a little quick chat with you before you go. 
Well, bye, everyone. I don't even know how many of you are here, but thanks for coming and watching our show. What a lovely guy. I was so looking forward to chatting with him. And I can't wait to read his book. I remember being in his group and it was very, very helpful because I hope it come across when he was explaining, but he breaks things down really easy and it's easy to understand, interpret. So when he was talking about your mindset and how that affects your body and everything else, it helped me when I was on my own with my horse and you haven't got anybody nearby, so you need some help and some guidance. And Justin was one of the first first people that I came across. And so I will be forever grateful for that experience. And it still stands today, and I haven't done that for ages, but it was fun to remember. Thank you very much for the people that joined. I do hope you enjoyed this little conversation with Justin. I shall post all the links so you can reach him. And if you've got any questions that you'd like to put to Justin, I'm sure will be happy to answer if he can. Thank you very, very much. Take care and speak to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.